You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years of this is Emeritus Rex with Rabruvain Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, Coach St. Luke. What an incredible uh, Kahila that is up north <laughs> in Canada. You know what that is, of course. I went on your Gullis to to uh, Montreal. I was worried about you, I'll tell you what it was. Because I felt, okay, you know, he doesn't speak French. You know? And the last time I was up there, before you became the rabbi, when I went up for uh, Hasna, it was like I couldn't get anybody to speak to me in English. And I knew that they knew English, but they refused. And at that time, of course, there was the the sense of succession they're going to secede from from uh, the rest of the provinces and there was this incredible push and i remember hearing i don't know if you did i remember hearing that there was a fear that this would become very hostile to to jews hostile to uh religious education so i want you to talk about that but before that i'd like to put this in perspective with something i dug up in some research from 1947 uh, it's from uh, the parties of 1947 in the May edition. Uh, there was a, a convention, like a Torah Masora convention of, uh, of and, and, and it, it, as I showed you before we started recording, many of really the, the movers and shakers who made day schools all over the United States were there. Um, Sender Gross and others, uh, people who Revlave boxed, people who were really you know, pioneers. And Rev. Aaron Cutler, who, uh, you know, had arrived you know within uh, not that long ago from 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 europe uh, and lakewood had begun so rav Aaron was one of the main speakers they brought rav Aaron there to speak and he said i want to tell all you educators that we need to make sure that the language of instruction is yiddish and i, I again I, i'm sure he spoke I, I, he probably spoke in yiddish when he said it but it was translated the following it's already been holy, despite, I'm going to now parenthetically say, despite its origins in, you know, a German uh, Golis. Um, and it, in the last period, it's it's been our fealty to this language that has allowed it uh, Judaism to uh, sustain. If we, in instruction, and he wasn't talking about not having secular studies, he was talking about the Lamude Kodesh, he said, if we um, switch that to English, we're going to assimilate and learn from them. Now, obviously, that didn't happen, but I'll, first of all, respond to this little nugget that I found. Bonjour. Comment ça va? Va bien? Is that it? Have you have you exhausted your your French? Soup du jour. <laughs> Petty four. Uh, hors d'oeuvre. Champs Élysées. Champs Élysées. Champs Élysées. Arc de Triomphe. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just don't sing that song, whatever. Okay, now, um, 
uh, French, yes, Yiddish. So uh, obviously, uh, the only places in North America that I'm aware of where the school language of instruction, even in the, what we call the ultra orthodox community, is Yiddish, is in the Hasidic places. You know, uh, Philly Yeshiva is English, Tells is English, Nerishal is English, Lakewood is English. I think Ellie Brudney still gives the Sheer in Yiddish in Mir. I think so. Okay. In Lakewood, the Shurim, the Shir Klali in Lakewood is what language? Is Yiddish, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been, um, but in North America, yeah, I, and it's like, you know, if Rav Aaron in his Oyum Amis is looking down, he is not recognizing, you know, what's there. I mean, you know, he you're, you're talking about not just the city, which of course is this incredible, you know, megapolis, right. a megapolis of, of, of yeshivish kaitchesidus and everything else, and everybody escaping Brooklyn. But the yeshiva itself is so, you know, it's so on, it's, it's on 80 different tracks, but, but you're correct. You know, it's, you don't. It's English. English is the, is the prime language when you walk into the right. language. So, uh, you know, so here's the thing. Reviron didn't say that Yiddish is, needs to be embraced as an end in itself. He said the knowledge of English will lead to assimilation. The, the teaching, they knew the kids would teach. The, the kids are anyway, obviously, growing up speaking English. The, the problem with Aaron felt was that if you take the instruction in that language, then you're sort of like bastardizing what the. Nobody says, he says, you'll learn me my same. You'll end up. Right. He said, you will learn from their ways. It was an assimilation issue, which I understand. So, again, American Orthodoxy has proven you can speak English and not assimilate. So it's not an issue. Um, listen, I, I live in Quebec where the only place in North America where language is a hot issue. I mean, there was a time 20 or 30 years ago in the States where you had some right-wing people claiming that Spanish was taking over and this and that. And enough time has passed for everyone to realize that uh, first and second and third generation Mexicans and Colombians and Cubans all end up speaking English. Yeah, they have Spanish radio stations in Florida and Texas. But the language, the language is English. I mean, everyone knows. Uh, the, the English is learned. Uh, in Quebec, it's a very strange place um, because it is, uh, it, it is an, it, they, they continue even this year, they're going to pass legislation to strengthen French. What, what that usually takes the form of is, you know, necessitating even companies with smaller numbers of people have internal communications exclusively in French. Legal documents all be in French. That court proceedings be in French. They're very obsessed with this. And, and there's always every few months there's a story in the paper, media about you know English in downtown Montreal is still predominant, and it's not true really. I mean the French, but but, but they are. But actually, if had they and we translated the piece that I just said in French to the the people who are running the uh, Quebec government i don't know how to refer to them the uh, the the parliament whatever they're called they the would, national assembly the national assembly would agree they say you know that rabbi was right because if we start speaking the language of let's say we are going to be we're going to be taken over we're going to lose our <laughs> cultural we're going to lose our cultural aspect identity of who we are and that's what they were afraid of in quebec right they were afraid i think what what are the reasons i think that the jews listen there's a complicated history here in other words, here's the typical conversation. French Canadian will say to a Jew, why don't you people speak English? 
uh, speak French. And the, and the Jew will say, it's your fault. When we came here, the schools were either Protestant or Catholic, and you put us all on the Protestant school board. Protestant meant, meant English. Catholic meant French. So you force us into the English system. It's your fault. Okay, all that's a long time ago already. Um, and right now, if you, let's say you would move to Quebec, right? And you wanted to send your kids, let's, let's imagine it's 30 years ago, your younger kids to school, you wouldn't be allowed to send them to the school of your choice. The only people allowed to send their kids to an English school in Quebec are people who they themselves were educated in English somewhere in Canada. That's called Bill 101 exemption. Ooh. Wow. Okay. So in other words, if you have a grandfather clause, basically, in your own family, where you yourself got an English education in Canada, then when you're in Quebec, you can send your own children. But anybody who moves to Quebec right now, by law, has to send their kids to a French school. There's something called an exemption you can get if you're just here on a work visa for three years, and you can renew it. Right now, there's a bill being proposed called Bill 96, where they want to remove the ability to renew that exemption. So it would really jeopardize the ability of Montreal to recruit rabbis and teachers from the U.S. Because till now it was renewable. You're on a visa, you can get it renewed. <laughs> now you can't renew the language exemption. It's a three-year exemption and that's it. And we're negotiating with the government. Hopefully we'll get a, a compromise and we're close to a compromise, hopefully. But these are issues that bedevil us all the time here in Quebec. Because wow. again, in the, in the, in the disconnect that that Montreal Jews have, I think, is also informed by the fact that Jewish identity was never language-centric. Jewish identity was primarily idea-centric, you know, behavior, faith-centric. It was not language-centric. It means wherever Jews went, they learned every cursed language on God's earth. I mean, Jews in Morocco conversed in Arabic. Jews in Hungary conversed in what they claim is a language. My God, my God, my God. Whatever they say, whatever that thing is, that, that, that thing they speak in Hungary. <laughs> Jews spoke Polish. I mean, let's remember something. In Warsaw, before What's World War II, in, in the city of Warsaw, before World War II, there were, if I remember correctly, and I may be wrong in my, in my memory, there were 11 daily Jewish newspapers, okay? The two largest were in Polish. But the, they the, weren't Yiddish, right? But the the, the frill mills, like in other words, I would say like my father Elisholom, who was no in Shtetl, they spoke Yiddish. Yes. But he was he was in Lodz, and he I, I remember bringing in Polish maids uh, to the house from Chicago. You know, you know yeah, Chicago. Sure. Chicago has one of the greatest uh, right, a, a lot of Polish amount stories. of poles. In, in other, I think it's second to Warsaw in the United, in the world. Anyway, but the point is, so we had Polish maids, and the Jews were very, very eager to get Polish maids in Chicago. By the way, because that was they were the best cleaners. So right. we had. A, I was oh, I was so lucky. I got a Polish maid, and you know, my dad was living with us after after my mother passed away, and I said, okay, you know, Dad, you'll be able to talk to her. He was barely able to get a couple of sentences out. Well, that's unusual. I know a lot of Polish survivors. I've been. In Poland with Polish survivors, they were all perfectly fluent. Is that so? Yeah. I, I mean, I, the, listen, the Jewish schools taught Poland. Again, the Frummer didn't. I mean, the real, but the typical Jew in Krakow and Warsaw and Lublin, they converse, they spent their day in Polish. When they were Jews, maybe they talked to each other in Yiddish. But the, the language of the marketplace was, was, was Polish. Mm. I mean, there are so many words that we use 
that we think are Yiddish that are really Russian or Polish or some other language. Sure, that, which, which, which uh, every language, the dialects right. are going to change based on... Especially- by the way, you want me to tell you something? By the way, do you have smelling salts nearby? I'm going to tell you something, you're going to faint. Okay? If you go to a hospital today in Poland, and you see a doctor wearing a white garment, you say to him, what do you call that? You know what the doctor answers? Kittel. Kittel. <laughs> In other words, Jews and Poles were so intertwined. The, till today, the word they use to describe their robe is a kittel. Wow. Now, I've never tested this. I just read this. I, I hope it's still accurate. I read this some years ago. Here's a guy called a kittel. When two Polish non-Jews have an argument with each other, what do they call it till today? They call it a machlekes. So the cross-pollinization was very, you know, it's like any New Yorker, you know, every Puerto Rican talks about schlepping his groceries. Yes, it's yes, not yes. that unusual. Which is the, the huge uh, Jewish population in right. pre the war, which was the yeah. osmosis, so to speak. So you're right. This re- so this you're, you're really touching on whether it makes sense the French or whatever of Aaron Cutler uh, was trying to promote really has any sense. No, but I understand what he was saying. That was the whole fight in Germany in the reform movement about the sermon not being in Yiddish. I mean, that's the whole issue. Would language be... Language becomes a symbol in Judaism for other things. In other words, what it will lead to. But it's not an end in itself. It's always what it represents. Speaking German and Shul means we've assimilated. Speaking uh, English in America means you may learn from the non-Jew. But so those were really important issues. But it wasn't that the language was central to their identity. Is it what it represented about your lifestyle, your choices, and your future? That's what the language issues were about. In Quebec, it's core identity. Language is core identity in Quebec. Well, look, you know, know, David Cohen, who we both know from Flatbush, wrote a number of books um, that aren't that aren't that well known. But he actually makes a decent case for Yiddish having aspects, even in its aphorisms, that are built on Chazal or built on like a Torah perspective. Oh, there's no question. By the way, secular Yiddish scholars have acknowledged this. And if you really want to appreciate Yiddish, it's a Gemara language. Yes. And, that and, means and, the syntax, the idioms, it's all right. Gemara. Right. And even I, Chul, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, you know I, I got in trouble. When the Jews screamed to Moshe, Hamabli and Kvalim That's okay. Yiddish. Yeah, well, well, Yiddish, That's Yiddish. Yiddish downloads that sort of uh, that mocking um, yeah. facetiousness. Yes, hundred percent. Hamabli and Kvalim That's right. Yiddish. And you can see it. You can see it in. in, in there's other own, examples which don't come to mind right now. Throughout Chazal, the the Amaroyim, the Amaroyim spoke. In a, in a way that you can hear them speaking Yiddish as well. Yeah, absolutely. Right, the right, syntax, right, everything right. is Yiddish. All the things the Chofetz Chaim decided to write about in the back of the Sefer were all the Maimar and Chazal, which seemed to be uh, where they're stalking each other, is really part of what develops you know, in Yiddish. You know, that's why you know, you know, I, I had a good friend that was a Gerd Tzedek who would speak with my father over Shalom, and he's and he was he was very proficient in German. He was he had read all the classics in German, yeah. and, and and you would think with the uh, proportionate amount of German that's Yiddish, yeah, it's Yiddish that a German could speak to someone in and and again it's it's in Yiddish. But the truth is is that although certain words were understandable, it is it is a totally different. Uh, uh, 
perspective. By the way, way to talk. the story of the slav in Chumash is a Yiddish story. You want slav? Yeah. <laughs> right? That's all. That's an entire Yiddish. <laughs> okay. That's a Yiddish story. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. But again, that is sort of like an attitude, but not actually right. the terminology. Oh, you're it's right. an attitude that sort of like takes over the, t- right. the terminology. So there's definitely my mark. There's definitely words that are based on Chazal that get into the language. There's attitudes that come from. I'll tell you a funny story. I'll, yeah, well, funny I'll, story. I'll, I'll, I'll say it even better. When we translate, and I, I, you know, I move among the Hasidim a lot, and, and then when I have to switch to English, not only am I speaking a different language, I'm speaking at a different speed. My body language is different. The, 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 the language really, and the French understood what they were saying. You know, you're Montreal. I want to say a funny story that comes to mind. I'll say a funny story. I was in Israel. I don't remember what decade it was, the 70s maybe. It was in those days when you checked into an Israeli hotel and you turn on the TV. If you were lucky, you had two stations, probably just one. Anyway, so I can't sleep in hotels. So I'm up in the middle of the night. I turn on the TV and there's an old rerun from of Kojak on, right? And it has subtitles. And Kojak is yelling at Crocker. If you remember Crocker, he yells at him. He says, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Kojak yells. Yeah. Bottom of the screen, subtitle, has Kojak yelling, Ma Inyan Shmita Eitzel Harsini. So what you have, so there you have, which by the way would not be translated that way today in Israel. But in those days in Israel, the old Jewish idiom of what does this have to do with that, which in English is price of tea in China, in Yiddish was always the Rashi, Ma Inyan Shmita Eitzel Harsini. Right, right. Which, which shows you that modern Hebrew uh, as it tried to assert itself, needed in many ways to. By the way, Hebrew, modern Hebrew in Israel is also informed by Yiddish. Oh yes. Oh, uh, I'll, oh. Wait, I'll give you the most flagrant example, which isn't a great because it's so flagrant. Is the, in English is a word begrudge, right? Which is not often. I mean, it's, it's a word in Yiddish. How do you say begrudge? Sufaginin. I can't forgive somebody. Meaning you can't tolerate somebody having something good, right? In Hebrew, how do you say it? Lefargain. Right? <laughs> so, so that's it's a Yiddish word taken straight. So so let's get back to this. So in some ways, I think you're somewhat of two minds. Because you know, you in your perch as the rabbi Emer- no, the rabbi emeritus rex, the king of your congregation sees you, oh, I love it when he like throws in a Yiddish phrase, but most of them don't really have it, right? No. Most of most of them see it as sort of like a, a curiosity about yourself that you are able, in a way, to yeah. Listen, sort of when I first came, it was different. There were real Yiddish speakers in my shul when I first came in the eighties. Today, uh, maybe one or two guys are left, but uh, we'll talk Yiddish only when insulting someone, maybe. Yeah, right. And, and so it, 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 we've seen, again, it's disintegrating. You know, I, I'm sure that in Montreal, in the Hasidic enclaves, I'm it's sure Yiddish is, Yiddish is thriving. And I don't know what, what schools they are sending to. I don't know what sort of grandfather clauses uh, well, they're they, getting. They get away with whatever they need to get away with. But uh, they, uh, listen, the guys on my show know me very well by now in I will never miss an opportunity to use the word Hilarion Machashefa when I'm speaking because yeah. I just find it always very helpful. And uh, 
But uh, other than that, I mean, uh, you know, besides Chassidah Shiloh, who speaks Yiddish? I have to tell you, you know, one of the reasons why I speak Yiddish is that Rav Aaron, although he seemed to, his nevuah was incorrect. Right. The fact it was is that if you went to the five towns, if you went to any of these these enclaves, you would see oh, Yiddish still has its place. Um, there's still something, but oh boy, I mean the 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 Americanization did not create the assimilation. It was an acculturalization, but it was not an assimilation. And I would argue that proves, I believe, my point, which is that at the end of the day, Judaism is not a language centric identity. We are a faith, practice, idea-centric identity. In Quebec, it's a language identity. It is. And, 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 and I think the other thing that we need to mention is that one of the things like from, you know, the, the idioms you know from your father, the, the, the thoughts that go into my head based on the Yiddish that I knew, uh, in many ways is archaic to even what the Hasidim are speaking today. Because you know, they are, without realizing it, as we said before, the Yiddish is changing. So, yeah. you know, so the, like the, even the Hoif Yiddish that you hear on Rav Salvechik used to speak, or others, right. th- th- you won't hear that anywhere. That kind of Yiddish you find amongst that small group of Yiddish scholars who aren't religious, who still speak a Litvisha Yiddish, a very, you know, a Weinreich dictionary Yiddish. And, uh, you know, they... Uh, they, they speak the right way. I mean, uh, which, again, which, which I think is a slavishness to like, like, like the Rambam's conception of language. Like the Rambam says, you know, there's the 70 was shown us and you have to, like when the Rambam speaks about davening in another language, he says, though, the translation has to be exact. It has to be an exact translation. Okay. So the one term, so you have to use these, this King James Hori uh, translation we now know from semiotics and other places that language is always evolving. The idea of shivim lishonos, and like the Rambam had it, that the term for this, this is the term that has to translate what totafos, or this is the term that translates, right. um, you know, even the word limud. Wait, we know that once a, a, a term is archaic and it's not used, you, you toss it out. It's it, William Sapphire Olvashom writes a column about it, you know, or somebody. But and, and I think that's that. I think is also something which it took a long time for people to realize that y- people who hate the bastardization of Yiddish and you know I can't stand English. I can't stand like the Yiddish words, right? Views the computer, views those, right? Like all the the words that you know that right. not just the technological words. Even I've heard Yiddish, like, like Lamashal, like a big building. The, the Yiddish word, the Alta Yiddish word was Avokenkratzer. That's what they would call it. Avokenkratzer. <laughs> if somebody would come and say, Ich zichois Avokenkratzer. No, we know what you're talking right, about. Right, right. Wie is the Avokenkratzer? It's a grace Avokenkratzer. <laughs> so the guy would say, right? So, so, so I think one of the things that, that we probably would, would agree on <laughs> is that we can't make a totem out of some of these old things. They're great to remember and they're great to use as, 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 as a way to... Listen, even Ruth Wise, who spent her life writing, talking Yiddish and loved Yiddish and was a Yiddish scholar, even she's written about what an anachronistic pursuit it is. That ultimately at the end of the day, Jewish future doesn't hinge on the knowledge of Yiddish. Yes, uh, I, I agree. 
but it's 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 a chava. Same way the the Haredi or the right wing yeshivas have Musr Storim, it would be wonderful to have at least something remaining in this language. Um, some sort of I, I see it as a it would be wonderful, but I'll tell you the truth. If you ask me today, no matter what who the Jewish kid is, no matter where what family they come from, and I had a choice of them becoming fluent in Hebrew or Yiddish, without hesitation, I would say Hebrew. Okay, so that's, let, let's, let's remember that America is very different than Eretz Yisrael, right? Like in Eretz Yisrael, let's take the typical, look, I can tell you myself, I uh, hang out now with a lot of Chesidah Shechever that have moved into my area of Jersey. They are four times more proficient in Yiddish than they are in English. I can yes. tell you that. Four times more. And I speak to them in Yiddish. And, and I can tell. If I, when a, when a, an, another person comes in who speaks English, they slow down 20, like they, it's taking them time to formulate. In Eretz Yisrael, it's not that way, right? In Eretz Yisrael, we all know, you know, we all know right, him. Right. You go in, you go, even in the Satmar, Bote Medrash, you go in there, the Ger for sure. The, yeah. he, they, are, they are as fast and quick in Hebrew as anything. Yeah. So that, that's, I think, an interesting phenomenon, right? It's almost like um, you know, as much as Hebrew, you would think, scared people getting into their mentality, they realized that it is a language that, that is built on Chazal. It's a language that they can, they feel themselves in. And, um, and, 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 and again, is that, should that tell us something about English? Uh, you know, Rav Salvechik used to say, and I don't know if you agree with this, he said that Eretz Yisrael is the Merkaz Atayra, no matter what. Right. And he knew that. Even in the 50s, he knew that oh. that, that was going to happen, despite all the illustrious Rabbonim who were at the convention that Rav Aaron, uh, gave his speech right. in 1947. Eretz Yisrael was clearly going, and, and, and people knew that. A long, people with longer vision, like Rav Zevin and others, knew that Eretz Yisrael was going to be that. But he said, one thing he says America has maybe North America, I'll include you, um, is that they are able to ask why they're able to get into a deeper type of conversation than what happens in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael, however, will, will always outstrip us in terms of raw information ability. But in terms of being able to somehow ask a a question that overturns the apple cart and gets to the essence. He says this he sees in America. And I'm wondering if you think that part of it is the elasticity of English. In other words, English lends itself to, because it's sort of like, I don't know if it's the universal. I I think it's, it's I I remember thinking that years ago. I don't know if it's still true. I, I haven't been in, you know, hung around in Israeli Yeshivas too much so I, today, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, I remember thinking that many, many years ago, and, and again, probably some of it's still true. I, I think it, I always ascribed it more to the influence of the academics of, 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 of Western world. In other words, that's just the, that's just how people learn here. In the Middle East is more, is less, in depth, you know, in other words, it has to do with the broader culture. We might have to call sociologists on this, yeah, who, yeah. who are, but I, we do know that a language 
that you you give over to a child at a young age does get the effect how they working. Think. There's no question. And yeah. if you have a language that has more words and right. more the oh, subtle, for sure. like you remember Ricky Ricardo, like you know, right. his frustration about figuring out all these rules. The mental gymnastics that are necessary to be able to know words are spelled exactly the same, right, right. but they mean two different things. I think that builds certain certain Maybe. certain certain qualities, which I'm not sure. Again, Hebrew has that as well, but I, you know, so so I think that Over them. Maybe, yeah. so it's, anyway, it's I, I have to it's run. Po- yeah, it's possible. I, 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 All I right, people, goodbye. Um, well, I, and the avenue. Benvenu. Take care, everybody. <laughs> we we will catch you next time. Adios, amigos. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Thank you.